0: exciting to be together this morning. My name is Adam, if you haven't met me or if you're new or you're visiting, uh, and I'm the young adult pastor here. And uh, I'm excited to be able to open God's word with you this morning. And it's my prayer and hope as we've been going through the the theme of the goodness of God this year, uh, focusing our attention firstly on the Old Testament, uh, that you would be encouraged uh, as you walk out of this place uh, and excited to follow Jesus. Um, as we've been going along on this journey in this series, we've been noticing that goodness uh, is very much the makeup of uh, who God is and what He does. And we've been looking at different characters of people within the Old Testament uh, and the goodness of God and, and the characteristics um, of how He shows His goodness sorry, to uh, His people. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at it from the life of Joshua. But the invitation that, we want to, that God has presented to us as a church uh, is from Psalm 34, and that is to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I hope uh, as we do that and we grab onto that this year that our lives will be transformed and so will those around us. But as I kick off now, let me just share a story to draw us in uh, to what I'll be talking about. This week, Pastor Steve shared a story with me um, of a conversation he had at a pastor's retreat. Um, with one of his friends by the name of Josh Edwards. And, uh, uh, and, and Josh is a, a senior pastor at a, ch- a church uh, in Western Australia. And uh, it's a great church and it's going really well and he's a great guy. Uh, previously to him being the senior pastor, it was his father. And his father's name is Aaron. And Aaron was the founder of the church. He served there for 20 years. Um, and uh, he brought his son on as a youth pastor in the early, uh, during this time, um, Aaron found out that he had early onset uh, dementia and uh, he was just early on in his years, only 60 years old, he had a lot of life in him, a lot to still give and uh, a lot of energy and, and initially this took the family by shock as they started to rally around him and to support him. As time went on, it became increasingly worse. And worse. And uh, if you're unfamiliar of dementia, it is just a—it's uh, a beast. It's a horrible disease that affects our, our memory uh, and our ability to live. And and as time went on, Aaron struggled more and more. And Aaron and the church decided that he would step out of that senior pastor role, and his son would step in. And uh, and and that's Josh, and he's doing a great job there. As um, Josh is sharing this story, obviously there's a lot of emotion in his heart. Uh, as he talks about his father, uh, who was his pastor and his leader. And uh, he shared this picture with Steve. And it was a picture of an auditorium just like this. It's not this particular picture. Um, And uh, it's a time of worship. And uh, at the back of uh, the building, someone's taken a photo. And during that time, that photo was taken. Uh, It's at the back of people's heads. And there's uh, a man in the front row, center aisle, And he's got his hands high in the sky, and he is worshipping his God. And that person was Josh's dad, Aaron. Aaron was championing his church on, championing his son, and worshipping his God. Now, here's the power of the story. While his short-term memory was being robbed of him, the memories that remain, the memories that he reflected upon as he was there was the goodness of God. And as he reflected on the goodness of God and remembered that in his life, the most natural response for him was to worship. The most natural response for him was to give thankfulness and gratitude to God for what God has done in his life and what God was still present in it now. And today, what we're going to do is draw from our text that God just doesn't want to tell us that he is good, but he wants us to remember his goodness, and that it is vital for our faith and the future generations for us to do that. And so why don't you just join me as I pray, and then we're going to open our scriptures together. Lord God, I just ask this morning that you would just lead and guide my words. I pray, Lord, that this would all be about you. And you would use, Lord, my imperfect imperfect, imperfect words for your glory. Uh, Lord, meet with us here. Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us here? And may, God, you change us. May we get a new picture of your goodness and your love. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Joshua chapter 3. And four, Uh, we're going to be looking across those two chapters. But before we um, get there, let me give you a little bit of recap. So, up until this point, just really briefly, um, we see God's people um, being led out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, and uh, they've spent some time uh, in the desert. In that time, because of their disobedience, they were there for 40 years. Um, There, uh, Moses gave them the Ten Commandments to ground them uh, in God. Um, And and then we see that God is leading his people through a promised covenant with them uh, to to, to grow this nation, but to a particular land, the promised land. And he's using Moses to do that. Now Moses uh, uh, disobeys God, and so we get to the point in the story where Moses is no longer allowed to take uh, the uh, Israelite people any further, and uh, he passes on the faith, the baton to Joshua. Joshua. And we'll just read from Joshua 1, 1 to 3, and then we'll go to chapter 3. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan and you and all this people into the land that I am giving them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I'll give to you just as I promised Moses." And so here we see this passing of the baton. And then we see Joshua's now leading. In Joshua 3.1 it says this, Early in the morning Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Verse 5, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord would do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people so that they took it up and went ahead of them. Now, let me just give you a picture of what's actually happening right now. There's thousands of the men, women, children, and they're heading towards this land that God has promised them, and they're met with this river. They can't go, uh, they can't go over it. They're not going to go around it. They can't go under it. They've, they've got to go through it, right? And uh, the, the desert hasn't given them many swimming lessons. So they're looking at something which is an impossible task. And uh, they need the move of God to happen. And Joshua says, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. And, And really simply, the Ark of the Covenant signifies the power and the presence of God. And that going before them. Joshua 9, verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pezites, the gergashites If I've messed that up, come talk to me. The Amorites and the Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, Set in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Verse fourteen. So when the people broke camp and crossed the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and put their and their feet touched the water's edge, I love that the waters from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, at a town called Adam, in the vicinity of Nazareth. What a great town that would be! While the waters, while the water flowing down to the Sea of um, Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over, the opposite, um, over, crossed, people crossed over opposite Jericho. Verse 17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped. In the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. How incredible is that story? Where there was no way, God provided a way. When it was impossible for man, it was possible for God. Imagine the fear, imagine the doubt, imagine the lack of trust maybe they had in that moment, yet yet they had enough faith to just put their feet in the water. And as they did that, the waters parted and God's goodness was just lavished upon his people as he provided a way to this new land. Let me ask you this question. I wonder if you can remember a moment in your life where God showed his goodness to you. I wonder if you can remember a moment in your life when God showed his goodness to you. I'm, I'm sure it's not if, I think it's a matter of when it happened. You see, as I reflected on this moment, I think of so many things that I can be grateful for and so many things where God has just cared for me. I think of you guys and the way that you have uh, carried me along and cared for me as I've been at this church seeking God's direction and now being a pastor. I think of my my wife and uh, I think of our our miracle child, Grace, which you probably saw running around here. Um, I think of so many things, but as I think of what I am most grateful for as a believer and all of us here, if you're Christian today, is this, the cross. That God would save me, that he would step into my brokenness and my sin, that he would meet me when I was lonely and lost, all of us. And that he would go to the cross for me and that he would rescue us out of our darkness and bring us into his light. That he would take away death and that he would return it with eternal life. You see, if you're thinking, hey, do I have goodness of God's goodness in my life? If you're a Christian today, do not let let that slip. Do not let that slip that now you are a citizen of heaven, that now you have a purpose and a hope as a child of God. I wonder if you can remember a moment in your life when God showed his goodness to you. Let's have a look what God does next, though. This is really interesting. Verse 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them at the place where you are staying tonight. Verse, um, verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men, and he had appointed from the Israelites, from one, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulders, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, you, when your children ask, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it, crossed the Jordan, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial of the, for the people, to the people of Israel forever. Verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Verse 24. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Awesome. He's saying, okay, I want you to take 12 men from 12 tribes, pick up 12 stones, and I want you to put them in Gilgal. And the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to remember the goodness. I want you to remember who I am and what I have done. You see, I think God is implying that maybe the Israelites are forgetful people. And you see, this isn't new in Scripture. God is constantly trying to get us, His people, to remember Him. The word remember is used somewhere between 350 times in the Bible. And three of these reminders come to me as God speaks about who He is in his scripture, as he talks to the Israelites. Let's have a look at this. In Exodus 20, 20, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, Hey, remember me by what I've done. He calls them to remember uh, through what he has promised to do in the future in Jeremiah 16. I haven't put that just for the length of the verse. In Exodus 2:6, he calls his people to remember through his covenant. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And lastly, he calls them to remember by the way that he lives, by the way we live, sorry, the way the Israelites live. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, a day that their attention would be on him. God wants to remind Israel of who he is and what he's done. And, And I don't think forgetting is an Israelite problem. I think it's an all of us problem, Right? I think all of us forget. I'd like to call it this, spiritual amnesia. When we forget God's past goodness in the present. When we forget God's past goodness in the present. Let me ask you this. How often has God done something good in your life and you have either forgot about it, not reflected on it, or didn't even recognize it? How often has God done something good in your life and you've either forgotten about it not reflected on it, or didn't even recognise it. Can I tell? Can I say? Probably all the time. Our lives are fast. Our culture we live in operates at a speed that is opposed to reflection. Life is a succession of focusing on the next thing, the next build, the next accomplishment, the present need that clouds our mind, the next holiday. And our focus is on the immediate and rarely do we stop and look behind us. So we need to ask ourselves, then what is the problem with forgetting God's goodness and why does God want us to remember? And I want to draw three things from that. One, for future generations. Two, for hard times. And three, it's a reason to worship. Let's have a look. Number one, God's goodness is a testimony for future generations. Verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Verse 24. So that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God says, let these stones be a reminder to your children and your grandchildren of the power and the faithfulness and the goodness of God, of Him fulfilling His promises to you. God's goodness, friends, should cause us to tell others. Now, I believe God is pointing the people of Israel to this because He knows what's going to happen. Let's have a look. Judges 2, verse 8-12. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, this is moments. this is time later on, died at the age of 110. That's a good wicket. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done in Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of their people, who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord in anger. Church, when we forget to remember the goodness of God, people will suffer. A generation will suffer. God wants us to remember because He wants us to pass it on to those that are going to be after us. Here we see in this scripture a passing of the baton of faith. Right, We see Moses pass it on to Joshua. And God is calling a new leader, Joshua, in a new season of Israel. And there's going to be a new location with new challenges. First 3, chapter 3, verse 4 says, And you have not gone this way before. Now, church, I don't need to explain that the spiritual and political turmoil of our culture that we find ourselves in, spiritually, religiously, in, in, in every, um, every facet, we are in a new place, in a new culture, and our culture has turned truth on its head. The goodness of God is being forgotten, ignored, and more than that, it's being opposed. But God is calling a new generation. That might scare you that it's the generation to come, but it's this new generation to carry the gospel, the goodness of God into the future. So how do we pass it on? Well, like a pile of rocks in this story is a memorial of God's goodness, so is our lives. Our lives and homes can be memorials of God's goodness. And God gives us an invitation to use them to tell others. But let me just stop there and say, parents, as a parent, as a mother and a father in this room, that we have a responsibility to pass on the goodness of God to our children. A recent study came up with this with 3,000 teenagers and parents. The greatest influence in shaping young people's religious lives is the religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents. The greatest influence in shaping young people's religious lives is the religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents. It's not school, it's not youth group, it's not church, it's in your home. It's you influencing them. Now, how are we going? In a study done with 11,000 people over 560 churches, research showed that one out of eight mothers talk to their children's children about faith and one out of 20 dads. One out of eight and one out of 20. Isn't that scary? And I reckon here at Southport we've completely flipped that on its head because we're so good at this, Right. The most social, uh, the most influence in shaping young people's lives is that that's modeled to them at home. Parents, I know we're busy, but there is, there is just too important for us to not forcefully put in the rhythms of faith in our homes and in our lives to pass on the goodness of God. Let me ask you, what, what will you be remembered by when your children talk about you? Will you be remembered as someone that worked lots? That was home but maybe stuck to a screen or on, on a phone? Will it be something where, where, where we are doing everything other, I'm not saying we're not doing a good job, but everything other than sharing the love and the grace of Jesus with our children? Now the reality is it doesn't just stop with parents. It's a responsibility for all of us to pass it on to the next generation. This week, being encouraged by this, I went and sat with a man by the name of Elwin Jenner. And you may know him. He's an elder in our church. And we sat, for, we sat with a coffee together and I began to just hear his life and his story. And uh, can I tell you, I was, I've never been more encouraged to follow Jesus than when I left that conversation. Elwin shared with me how he, has someone, he had someone in his faith that would sit with him and encourage him in his walk with God. He shared with me how um, from day to day he just sings hymns in his mind as he trims the trees and does his work to carry him. Isn't that beautiful? And there's one moment amongst it where a tear was brought to his eye and it wasn't dusty. And it was the moment he began to talk about his relationship with Christ. I heard from a man that if he had nothing more but Christ, he had everything. I'm not saying Elwin's perfect. We aren't. But I saw a man that used his life as a memorial to pointing people to Jesus. As I was there, I asked him, what would would be an encouragement for me and the future generations coming through? And he said this, The greatest thing is an ongoing, deepening relationship with Jesus. We take that for granted. We don't just need to be trying but trusting. It's not struggling, it's resting. Faith is not some magic formula, but we are called to come to Christ like a child. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I I piece that together. But isn't that a beautiful, beautiful heart? We need to pass on the goodness of God, and our lives are a memorial of it. Number two goodness of God is an anchor in hard times. When you see this pile of rocks, I want you to trust me, God is saying. Now, we need to understand the Israelites are not stepping into a promised land where it's all rainbows and skittles and everything's going to be okay, right? Like they're stepping into a land where there's going to be challenges, there's going to be hardship, there's going to be days where they want to give up, there's going to be war. And so God is saying, hey, I want this here because I want you to remember what I have done. We can see that they forget, because when and even us, when we forget, we lose hope, we lose trust, and we take our eyes off Jesus. Exodus sixteen two says it talks about them walking through the desert. God's just done a miraculous thing and rescued them, and they want to go back to, they want to go back to Egypt because at least they had a meal. They forget, they forget. I I I like to think of it as hardships begin to well up in our minds. We, um, we can't see anything else. It's like me watching TV and Tegan trying to get my attention. Adam, Adam, Adam! I'm like, what? Like, I can't hear her, right? I'm trance. And I'm not selective hearing, I promise. Um, when we are in hardship and, and difficulty, it's like all we can see and feel and hear, maybe in this room, is just that. But God wants to break in. He wants to shift our attentions, and it causes us to choose to look to him. Sorry, I've just lost my. As I continued my conversation with Elwin, I heard about the hardships in his life and the grief and pain. And over our time together, I heard that he didn't just lose businesses and relationships, financial loss, but he had walked through losing not just one son but two. And I asked him, Elwin, how are you even here? How are you in church? How are you still following Jesus, knowing the suffering, knowing me, knowing the suffering you've gone through? How are you an elder of the church, like you back it? And Elwyn, with full conviction in his heart, said this: Adam, Jesus is real, His presence is real, and He is powerful to carry you through. Adam, Jesus is real, his presence is real, and he is powerful to carry you through it. Church, when times are hard, your health is down, your living expenses are up, your, v- your relationships are struggling, in moments like this, we need to turn our attention on the goodness of God and remember his goodness, that he is the same faithful God then that he is today, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the same God who died for you on the cross is the same God that operates in your life now. And I think there's people in this room today that need to look at this statement and believe it. That you have forgotten that you have been lost in your pain and brokenness. And you need to understand that Jesus is real, his presence is real, and is powerful to carry you through it. That is true for you today, church. And by remembering God's goodness, he carries us through this. The last point is this. God's goodness gives us a reason to worship. Verse 24. So that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God says, when you see this pile of rocks, I want you to worship. The sight of these stones, the people would, be, would call to mind the power and the goodness of God, which would serve to keep an awe of his majesty, a reverence of him, of his greatness, and engage them to fear, serve, and worship him, who his, who his goodness and how his goodness and his abundant love had been lavished upon them, that he is a true and living God. Church, God wants us to remember it because when we forget we take the credit away from God and we put it on ourselves or maybe somewhere else. Remembering God's goodness gives God the worship and thankfulness he is due. You see, church, thankfulness and worship is not circumstantial, but it is a decision we make that flows from an awareness of who God is and what he has done. It's not circumstantial. It's the decision we make. From understanding who God is and what He has done. Psalm 103 says this, and we all know it, maybe it's a favorite of yours. Bless the Lord and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquity, He heals all your disease. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Here David preaches to himself. He spends time to remember and he turns his attention to worship. Like Aaron at the front of the church, while his mind is escaping him, he has the solid foundation that God is good. And the same God that was good then is good now and is with him. David says don't forget all that God has done. Don't forget how he has forgiven all your sins. Don't forget that he is the God who heals your diseases. Don't forget that he has redeemed your life from the pit. Don't forget that he crowns you with his steadfast love and showers you, um, shows on you his mercy when all you deserve was death and hell. Don't forget that he alone can satisfy you with good and renew your youth like eagles. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't forget. Church, worship is not created, worship is directed. We are worshipful people. And our worship belongs to God. Now the reality is, God has given us so many piles of rocks. Now Elwyn's one of them, and he's a good looking pile of rocks. But all of our lives are piles of rocks, right? Memorials to point people to God's goodness. We have the cross, which is a sign and a memorial to God's goodness. We have baptism. We have communion. We have these things in our lives. We have Easter. We have Christmas that remind us to direct us back onto the goodness and the majesty of God who's with us and for us. And so let me just leave you with this application, and then we're going to worship um, our God this morning. Really practically, I want to give you uh, a few things. We're not going to talk on these long, but you can even take a photo of this. This week, what does it mean for you to think, to stop and think, what are some events that you can look back on as a pile of rock marking a defining moment for you, a moment where God showed his grace and forgiveness? Secondly, how can you engage your heart to thank God for that, for what he has done? Thirdly, how can you then allow that joy and that memory to go and tell others? Maybe it's inviting. Maybe if you're here and you're further on in life, maybe it's finding someone that is younger than you. Maybe it's finding one of our young adults and saying, hey, can I get a coffee? Can I tell you they would love that? I think sometimes we're all a little bit too scared to, to, to talk to, to engage with one, one another. I like to think of it as like we're at a, we're at a school dance and we all, all the girls on one side and all the boys on one side, and just going to take one person to step out and do it, and then we're all doing it. I think that's a good way to think about it. But it takes you, and maybe you're here and you can step out and invite people in to hear your story. Here we go. Number four, traditions. Think about your life and your story and your home. What does it look like for you to have traditions Maybe it's around the table at at night. Maybe it's uh, around birthdays. Maybe it's around Sundays where you constantly are helping your children and your homes look to Jesus. Lastly, what does it look like for you to journal? Like I said, we're not very reflective. Stop. Write these things down. And lastly, we taste and see. And this is a constant reminder we have through both communion and baptism to stop and to remember the goodness of God. Let me pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you are. And I just ask, God, that you would just take this simple message of remembering you and you would just take it deep into our heart and our minds. I pray, Lord, that your goodness would just carry us all the days of our life. And that, Lord, there would be no other place that we would like to be than in your presence and remembering and worshiping you. And so, God, right now I ask that if there's anyone in this room that has forgotten your goodness, that's feeling hurt, that's feeling numb to it, I pray, Lord, right now that you would meet with them, that Holy Spirit, that you would encourage them, that you would wrap them with your love and your grace, and that you would carry them through the hard season that maybe they're walking in. I ask, Lord, for people in this room that don't know you, Jesus, may you reveal yourself. May you show each and every person who you are in a a new way. And so, Lord, we just lay our lives down to you now and just pray that you would help us follow you, help us put you first. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank Thank you, Ben.